someone that was sleeping one time. <laughs> but I will say something if you're sleeping. Um, no, I won't. <laughs> uh, but this text this morning is um, it's a special text to me. Is thank you. Yay! All right. So I'm going to say that wasn't me. That was Satan trying to stop the word from going forth. I rebuke you, Satan. Um, but no, this is a special text to me, and I, I hope you feel the tension in this text that I felt, and I hope you feel the call in this text that the Lord is giving to us. I love to shop. I love to shop. Um, and I love to shop online. And so I have this app that no matter what I purchase online, it goes into this app and I'm able to see when it was fulfilled, where it's at. But the, the thing that I really like about it is it, I can see the street that it's on as it's moving. And, and to me, that's exciting, right? I'm getting, it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, it could be a cable, right? And I'm just excited as a TV. It's just, it's, it's just really exciting to me because that expectancy that I have, that my package is on the way, and then when it gets delivered, I'm like, yes! You know, it's on the front porch. They show the picture of it. Well, in our text this morning... One of the things that Jesus is trying to get us to understand is this idea of expectancy. And that we should be even more excited about the return of Jesus than about a package. We should be more excited about anything that we expect to happen in our lives, whether it is a new job or a raise, whether it's a, a friendship that we haven't seen that person in a long time and we actually get to see him, we should be more excited about seeing Jesus Christ than anything else. Our Lord taught us that we should not be anxious about tomorrow in Matthew 6, 34, but he did not teach that we should ignore tomorrow. In fact, just the opposite, Jesus taught that our view of the future ought to be the uppermost in our thinking about how we should live today. And this idea of expecting Jesus, we are finishing up um, a series, Rich Toward God, and, and in chapter 12 of Luke, he talks about the things that distract us from returning the richness that God has poured out on us back to him. So things like money and hypocrisy and worry, these are the things that distract us. And how we can defeat that is this idea of being expectant toward the return of Christ. 
That's what keeps us focused. That, that's our true north as it relates to these things like money, hypocrisy, and worry, all of these things that can take us off our game as believers. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should think often about the fact that he is coming soon and that every person must stand before him to give an account. We should view ourselves as stewards who have been entrusted with time, money, abilities, resources, which are to be used for the master's kingdom. We've heard that over the past three weeks. And now this, this passage is the bow on this teaching. At some time, we don't know when, but we do know that it is certain our Lord will return and we must give an account to him of how we use what he gave us. After telling the disciples to seek for his kingdom, Jesus goes on to exhort them to be ready for his return because when he comes, he will judge everyone. I think this is a really good point to go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your spirit. Now I ask, Lord, for prayer right now. I ask now, Lord, for your special filling of the Holy Spirit for the work of preaching your gospel. I pray, Lord, that those who hear my voice would be changed by the Spirit of God, that they would see this truth the way that you have taught us as a central theme in our Christian lives. So, Father God, would you do this for us right now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our text this morning, it falls into two sections. Now, the theme of uh, 12, 35, and 40 is, is readiness for his coming. The idea in 12, 42 through 48 is that when the Lord comes, he will judge everyone according to what they've done with what they've been given. Here it is. My first point, we should be prepared for the master's return. Here is the text. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning, lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left the house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This idea of a wedding is very different for us than it is the, the, the group that he's speaking to now. So I want to kind of set the table because I'll keep going back to it. This idea of the wedding, these towns were somewhat small, and a wedding was the biggest thing to hit the town, and it only happened maybe once or twice a year. The whole town would come out. It would be exciting. It would be huge. This was their New Year's Eve and Christmas rolled into one. This would be like a giant Super Bowl party for them. So when we hear this wedding motif here, 
This was a big, big deal. And when we talk about the, the master of the house going to the wedding, he not only went to the wedding, but he was in the wedding. He was not just in the wedding, he was the groom. So the idea is that this, the master of the house went to his wedding to bring his new wife home. And the servants were excited. They were excited to meet the new woman of the house. They were, they were excited for the, for the master to come home with his wife. And they were excited. They were making sure everything was clean. They were making sure that everything was in its place. And they were prepared when he came home to serve him and his new wife. This just wasn't them sitting in a room with a lamp, which we could kind of think that that's what's going on. This, there was excitement there, and Jesus wants us to be excited. See, this was, and none of my illustrations can really hit the level of Christ's return, because the return of Christ is epic. There's nothing that we are experiencing in this realm that's anything close to the return of Christ. But I'm going to try. So, my first question is, what prevents us, you and I, from being prepared? What's preventing us from being the pair? Well, Jesus uses four word pictures to emphasize this one point. Be ready for his return. Be dressed in readiness is literally, let your loins be girded. Now, in that day, Everyone wore long robes, which were very cumbersome if you needed to move quickly or freely. Now, if a person planned to run or work, he would tuck his robe into a sash around his waist so that it would not interfere with his movements. The verb here indicates a state of perpetual readiness for action. You, when you tied up your robe, you got ready. So I don't know if you saw any videos, but it would be the same if... You saw two people, two women that were going to get ready to go at it. And she's taking her earrings off and putting the Vaseline on her face. She's getting ready. You know what's going to happen after that. That's the same picture, right? You see somebody tie their rope up. It's, it's, they're ready for action. Something's getting ready to happen. It should have been something, but I like you guys. The second figure is... Keep your lamps burning. This comes from a day when there was no electricity, there were no street lights. Um, if you were expecting a midnight visitor, you would keep an oil light burning so that when he knocks on the door, you could see to let him in. Again, this idea is to be ready for the master coming. We see this picture also in Matthew 25 in the parable of the ten virgins. So here's the statement on the table right now. The Christian should always live in the reality that Jesus is coming back. And this is what I wrote about that statement. Expectations always change your perspective. Everything you do has the object of your expectations in view. Your expectations are important because they drive behavior. I'll give you an example. 
If any of you can remember back when you were 11 or 12 or younger, or your parents have kids who maybe are 11 or 12, or you're an adult, it just likes what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> going to Disneyland. Let's say if you have a little kid, I say a little kid is under 12, and you tell them, in two weeks, we're going to Disneyland. What do you think they're going to do? Mom, is two weeks up yet? No, I just told you an hour ago. <laughs> okay, the next day, is two weeks up yet? Are we going to Disneyland? Their expectations are through the roof, almost to the point that they can't stand it. That's how we should be. The Bible tells us we should be like little children. Right? We should get so excited when we think about his return. The one who we sing about, the one we've heard preaching on, the one we read about should excite us to no end. Expectations. The third picture is of servants who are waiting their master's return from a wedding feast. Now, I mentioned this feast earlier. This feast lasted for days, often for a week. The servants would need to be ready when they heard their master arrive to open the door and serve him. The point is, the master could come in the middle of the night when you least expect him, so you must be ready. They didn't know when he was, this was a week-long party. It could last in the morning, it could come at night, it could come late into the evening. They did not know. But they were ready because they were excited because the master was coming home with his new bride. The fourth picture is of a thief breaking into a house in the middle of the night. If the homeowner had known when the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. He would have been ready and waiting. Then Jesus states the application of all four figures. He says, you too, be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is coming back. Scoffers may say it's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus spoke these words. Now, again, I'm going to pause here. I very rarely use the word scoffers, but I was able to slip it in here. So thank you very much. Every generation since then has thought it was the final generation before his coming, but they all died without seeing it happen. The reality is, for them, it's just not going to happen. See, that's what happens to us. Jesus hasn't come back yet, so we think, ah, he's not coming. And then that causes us to be spiritually lazy. It causes immorality to slip in. I can still remember when um, I was a teenager and my parents had a timeshare in the Bahamas. They didn't get this in the first service, but you guys get it because I like you. <laughs> they used to go to the Bahamas for a week every year. So we knew that if they left on Monday, they were coming back that next Saturday or Sunday. So we knew they weren't coming back Monday through Thursday. So we always would throw these mega parties at my house. Why? 
because we knew they weren't coming home. And what does that cause? It causes disobedience and immorality. We also knew that Friday or Saturday before they came back, we needed to do some deep cleaning, right? So here it is. This is the picture. When we knew they were going to return, we lived our life in, in light of that, right? Mom and dad is coming home. We need to make sure this house looks like we didn't have a party. And we were busy, busy, busy doing it, fixing up, cleaning up. Why? Because we knew they were coming. And when you know, when you expect someone to come, you respond to that in a certain way. It's the same with Jesus. When you don't think he's coming back, you're going to live your life a certain way. When you, if someone told you Jesus is coming back tomorrow, it's going to change the way you live today. We get distracted, not just by money and worry and hypocrisy, those things we've been talking about in, the, in chapter 12, but we get distracted by our own beliefs. We don't believe the proper things. It causes us to be distracted, which causes us not to respond back to God in the rich way that he wants us to live our faith. There's nothing like the return of the Lord. It is unique. I remember um, when I was growing up, I, I was raised by my stepdad, and my real dad would come and get my brother and sister and myself three times a year, on Easter, on Christmas, and my brother's birthday. And I remember, I loved those visits, I loved those visits. I loved my stepdad. He was a great guy. I'm more like my stepdad than I am my real dad because I lived with my stepdad, but I loved my dad. I loved my dad. And when he would come, we were so excited. I would sit in the window waiting for him to pull up. When he would pick us up, we would go to the movies and we would just do all these cool things. And I remember how I felt when I expected my dad to come. And the reason I felt like that is because I loved my dad. I loved my dad more than anything. He was just such a great guy. And watching him drive off after he left us and watching the tears that he had, I think about how Jesus must have felt when he had to leave the disciples. And how they must have felt after all of the teaching, all of the healing, all of the love that they saw coming from Jesus and him going away. I could imagine how they felt. And so when he told them, don't worry, one day I'm coming back. Now that was such an encouragement to them, but it also caused a response from them. And here's the question on the table. Have you spent... And I asked myself this question. Have I spent even one moment thinking about the second coming of Christ this week? Have you thought about it at all? When this, based on this text and many other texts, is central to the Christian life. My second point Proper preparation for the master's 
return. Verses 41 through 44. Listen to the word of the Lord. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his uh, master will set over his house to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So this is a very normal question based on what Jesus is teaching. So Jesus is doing this teaching about his return and the and they got it. But here's Peter. This is what he really said. Are you talking to me, Jesus? Are you, are you, are you talking to me or are you talking to everybody? Because Jesus, you, <laughs> come on, you know who I am. I'm Peter. Remember Peter by the fire? Yeah, that, that Peter. And this is before that. And so J Peter wanted to know, Jesus, are you talking to me? Is this message for me and your disciples or is this message for everyone? That's the question. And so the question is, what does a prepared life look like? What is he calling not only Peter to do, but the surrounding group to do? Because we understand what preparation is like. Right? We prepare every day to go to work or go to school. Right? There's certain things that we do when we have something that we need to do. If we're going to school, we're getting our stuff together, our books or whatever, work, we're getting our briefcase, our lunch, whatever it is that we do. If we're preparing a wedding, there's certain things you do. When you're preparing a, a graduation or a vacation, there's certain things to do. What do you do when you're preparing for the return of Christ? What do you do? Is it just coming to service and listen to a, a, some preaching and, and then maybe giving some money or go? What does it look like? Well, if God has entrusted you with leading or co-leading a household, if you're a mom or a dad or a spouse or a leader of the church household, God expects, this is what it looks like, faithfulness from you and I. He expects you to feed those under your charge. What does that mean? Well, the Bible calls the word of God food in Matthew 4, 4 and Hebrews 5, 12. So being a faithful manager means teaching God's word to those he has entrusted us over. Parents, are you teaching your kids about God? Are you teaching your kids the stories of the Bible? Maybe you don't know, know all of the stories super well, so you're learning as you go. That's okay. Are you modeling the truth of God's word in your own life? Are you confessing your sins to them when you wrong them? Are you sharing how God is speaking to you and changing you? That's how we pass on the faith. Spouses, are you loving your husbands or your wife? Are you praying for each other and encouraging each other with God's word? Ephesians 5.26 has a special call to husbands to wash their wives with the word. Husbands, are you sharing the scriptures with your spouse? Are you praying with her? 
Or are you allowing the things in this world that distract us like we heard weeks ago, money, how money distracts us? Are you so worried about the bills? Are you so worried about your job? Are you being hypocritical in how you're living your life in front of your family? How you correct that is to have the right view of the return of Christ. This is so convicting to me. Wives, are you sharing what you've learned with your husbands and praying for them? Elders, our pastors, are we feeding our people God's word? Are we discipling them and loving them? But what if you're not in charge of anyone? Are you feeding yourself? We're called to be faithfully, to faithfully feed each other. But in Luke, Jesus takes a pause and reminds us he is very serious about this. He's very serious about this. The penalty for poor preparation. But if the servant says, this is uh, verses 45 through 48 in your Bibles. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know. Now, I'm going to stop right here. Um, this is a text that doesn't say that you can lose your salvation. This is a text that first you have to understand the group of people who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to his disciples and his followers, but in that group are also the scribes and the Sadducees, right? Who were abusing the people of Israel. They were leaders that were taking advantage of the people. So in this context, what he's saying is, if you are leaders that are abusing the flock, that are not caring for the flock, that are living a life that is worldly, you're drinking, you're getting drunk, not drinking, but you're getting drunk and hanging out and beating the flock. He's saying that one day you will answer to that. That one day there's judgment for you abusive leaders. That you have mistreated the family of faith and that for you, Judgment is justice. Back to the text. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. So he's saying, you ungodly leaders, if you want to act like unbelievers, if you want to act like people who are against God, I'm going to treat you like that. Then he goes on to say, and that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand much. Now, 
I don't know if God has got this spiritual stick that when he sees you, he's going to give you a beating. But what I do know is that there's repercussions for not doing what he requires us to do. That's his point. Jesus has gone to heaven and left things in our hands, and he has given us his instruction in the Bible. When he returns, he will hold us accountable. He will not be able to, you will, you will be not, not be able to use the excuse that you did not read the instruction manual for it was your responsibility to read it. You won't be able to excuse yourself by saying you did not have time. What this is talking about is obedience. And obedience, Jesus says, is better than sacrifice. Obedient. He's calling us to be obedient to what he's called us to do and to be in this world as the household of faith. Let me challenge you with a couple of ideas before I close. To those who profess to be followers of Christ, I ask this question. Are you living like the one who is preparing for an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Are you living that way? This is, I remember years ago, a gentleman who was discipling me said, well, one day you are going to stand be before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Every day you live should be in preparation of that day. Every day is that Friday before my parents were coming home from vacation. I've got to have that kind of rhythm in my life. Jesus is coming back. How is he going to find me? Am I going to be distracted? Am I going to be worrying all the time? Am I going to be spending money on my pleasures? Am I going to be a hypocrite? Or am I going to, is, is what he's calling us to be and to do central in my life that, that moves out from understanding that one day he is going to return? He's coming back. Now, how do you know he's coming back? Because he came the first time. That's how you know. He came the first time. If you know and believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he came, he said he's coming back. Listen, you could have a heart attack. You could, you could leave here in an instant. I'm old. I had two friends that passed away this past week. Two. It happens in an instant. You don't know when your time is up. Now, I don't, I don't mean you'd be morbid or anything, but that's just life, right? And it doesn't matter if Jesus comes back tomorrow or you kill over tomorrow. Practically, it's the same thing. You're going to be face to face with the King of Kings. And when he comes back, is he going to find a true believer? Is he going to find someone who's practicing obedience? There's a story I heard of a pastor who was praying. Well, he was in the hospital visiting his pastor. His pastor was, was dying. And so he had his visit and he was about to leave. And he said, let me, let me pray for you. So he prayed for the pastor, held his hand tight and prayed for him. And when he opened his eyes, the pastor had died. Now, he said, I can't believe how beautiful that was. Just think about it. 
One moment I'm praying to God, professing my love, finding encouragement and seeing Jesus, and I open my eyes and I'm in his presence. So that was magnificent. If you knew Jesus was coming back this evening, what would you do differently the rest of this day? Jesus calls us to be diligent as opposed to lazy in our discipleship. Take a hard look at your life and make the necessary changes so that you'll be ready when he comes. What we do here from this pulpit in its simplest form is we are preparing you, each one of you, to meet Jesus. That's our job, to prepare you to meet Jesus because one day you're going to be face to face with him. We, we explain what he's taught us and what he requires. We explain it so you understand it. That's what we do. Those of you who are true followers of Christ should start each day with this simple declaration. This could be the day. Every day you wake up, this could be the day. And then we should live as if it were. We should make the most of every opportunity so that we are ready if he were to come. Now, my grandmother passed away probably six, seven years ago. I'm in my 60s. And my grandmother was dying every day I've known her, which I think I was six years old when I met my grandmother and knew who she was. She's been dying, was, was dying the whole time. Now, she didn't have a disease. She was just dying. I'd say, hey, Grandma, how you doing? Oh, baby, I, I think I'm going to see the Lord this year. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I'm six. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, this every year. I mean, you know, 40, 50 years she's saying this to me. And, and I remember when I was engaged to my wife and we pulled up in front of my grandmother's house. We were engaged and I was taking her to meet my grandmother. So right before we get out of the car, I said, okay, babe, you need to know something that uh, my grandmother's dying. And she said, oh no. I was like, no, she's been dying for 50 years. Right? So she goes into the house, she meets my grandma. My grandma loved her. Oh, she said, Will, you did such a good job in picking your wife. We're talking and, and my wife was like, now you make sure we want, we want you to come to the wedding, grandma. Oh no, baby, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna make your, your wedding. I, don't, I think the Lord's gonna come get me before then. And I used to laugh, our family used to laugh at that. But I want you to think of this. My grandmother was very wise. She lived every day like she was going to see the Lord soon. Every day. That was her reality. God is going to come. God is either he's going to break the sky or he's going to bring me home this year, this week, this month. It is impossible that there are some here who are not ready. You may not even know what it is that you're supposed to be ready for. You may know that you're not a believer. 
You may comfort yourself by saying, someday I will become a believer. But let me ask you with all sincerity, what if someday is today? That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. There's some urgency to it. I'm begging you, come to Jesus. If you're open to the message of forgiveness and new life, do something about it today. Ask one of the prayer team, ask one of the elders and leaders, what do I need to do? How do I need to respond to this message of love from Jesus? Grab hold of Christ, but even more importantly, let him grab hold of you. The Lord calls us to follow him, to be committed to him, and to live every day as if we were going to meet him. My friends, the Bible is clear that someday Jesus will return. The message from our text today is simple. That will be a day of great grief or a day of unbounded joy. And it's all going to depend on whether you're prepared and waiting, whether you were unprepared and caught by surprise. In a nutshell, do you want to be a people, a person that's rich towards God? Then seek Jesus and his return as central in your life. Let's pray. Father God, just thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the love that you've poured out against us. I thank you, Lord, poured out it to us. I thank you, Lord, for giving us the wisdom and the truth to make sense of this life and of this world. But I pray even more fervently, Lord, that you would teach us to keep your return as central in our lives. These things we ask and pray in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.